Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast, the weekly podcast for teachers, parents, and communities who envision an education system where all students are treated equal. Together with top experts in the field of inclusive education, we offer tips, advice, and solutions for including students of all abilities in today's classroom. Now, here are your hosts, Nicole Eridix and Terry Morrow. Hi, good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the Inclusive Class Podcast. I'm Nicole Eridix, and I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, teacher, and creator of the online resource, The Inclusive Class. This season, we are excited to bring you a new and improved version of the Inclusive Class podcast, which is including a weekly virtual roundtable discussion with a panel of guests and notable guests, my co-host, Terry Morrow, and myself. Good morning, Terry. How are you? Good morning. I'm good, Nicole. And I'm so happy we seem to have started with no technological glitches. So the music that was supposed to, oh, well, (laughs) see, there you go. You had to go ruin it. But uh, let's hope for for the best for the rest of this show because I'm not having having a technically successful week. Oh, well. And we can blame it on me if something goes wrong. Uh, I'm Terry Mora. I'm the About.com expert on parenting special needs at specialchildrenotabout.com and the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education. And I'm also the parent of two young adults with special needs. And, uh, Nicole, why don't you tell everybody who else is with us here today? Oh, yeah, for sure. We've got uh, at our roundtable this week, we're happy to have Paula leave with us, who has been a past guest on our show and is joining us again, so we didn't scare her off. (laughs) 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 She's back with us again with uh, sharing her experience and knowledge. Paula is a senior consultant and CEO emeritus from uh, with the New Jersey Coalition for Inclusive Education in New Jersey. And uh, she has been focused on inclusion for the last 20 years, uh, first as a special education attorney and um, then as president of the NJCIE, the New Jersey Coalition. And uh, now she is uh, semi-retired, she says, but still just as busy as she consults um, on a variety of projects uh, in schools and working towards uh, more inclusive opportunities. So thank you, Paula, for being here with us this morning. Well, and very happy we, to be here. Thanks. And then we also have Lori uh, Swan Hunt, who is back with us again. Um, and she keeps returning, so that's a great thing, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure. It, and Lori, thanks for joining us. And for our listeners, Lori is a parent and founder of uh, OllieBean.com, which is a wonderful online online resource supporting uh, people of all abilities, and she is an advocate for inclusion. So thank you, Lori, for being here, too. Thank um, you. Now, let's just, before we get into our discussion, uh, what's everyone been up to this week? What's kind of your latest and greatest news? What's happening? Paula, do you want to start with you? Let's go. Yeah, yeah. well, I am semi-retired, but I find um, I'm extremely busy. <laughs> people are asking me to do a lot of things, and I can't say no. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm just really happy to be on the call today. Great. Thank you. And what's happening? Anything going on at um, NJI, 
N-J-C-I-E. Lately, um, yes. you talked about a website. Anything going on there? Yeah, yeah. I um, I in some retired as of July one, but all during the spring, and still we're we're trying to revamp the NJCIE website, which is at njcie.org, and putting on new uh, resources and information. And one of the most recent things just has gone up in the last couple of weeks that I thought might interest people, especially those in New Jersey. <clears throat> there was a a white paper that was written by experts in a class action suit that was brought against the state in 2007, but it got um, on LRE, but it got um, settled amicably in February. And the white paper was written based on research that Lou Brown and Jim Conroy had done in connection with that case. But it's just a very interesting read as to um, the kinds of things that, that they found were kind of going wrong in New Jersey. And hopefully the settlement has a lot of training that's um, connected with it that's going to be going into school districts. Mm-hmm. But I just thought that people might be really interested in, in uh, you know, checking checking that out and seeing what that's all about. Yeah, great. Yeah. So that that can, on the yeah, that can be fun on the website, right? Right. Especially those of our listeners who have been listening to me say week in and week out, yeah, but it doesn't happen that way where I am. (laughs) You can read read that white paper about the way things are in New Jersey, and then you will go, oh, so she wasn't just being a grouch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, getting some support there, Terry. Um, Lori, what's happening with you? What's what's going on in your world? Uh, a lot, you know, it's busy, three three kids, and we had a um, surprise visit from our daughter who is at Fordham in New York. She came oh. home last weekend, so that was really wonderful and exciting. And yeah. um, our middle daughter had her senior homecoming, and, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's bittersweet. And, um, and then Henry has been he's been meeting some of the new teachers he's he's doing a part of a hospital homebound program as he's kind of still recovering and um right. um preparing his presentation for cash in December oh so it's nice. always yeah it, it it that which I'm really excited about that's December third and um just um we're still um continuing our the literacy life hacks with the flashcards and we're just getting so many people downloading the flashcards and using yeah. them at home and then reporting to us about how um, their kids are progressing. And it's really exciting yeah. that just these simple things can help. Yeah. Um, you can promote literacy skills at home with very young kids or kids of all ages. So yeah. um, that's, that's – and it's hot here. It's like probably so hot. a little <laughs> chilly this morning, 80, 80 degrees, yeah. something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know um, exactly what you're talking about, yep. Yeah. <laughs> How are Good. you doing, Nicole? Oh, I'm doing well, thank you. I uh, The highlight of my week was uh, a meeting with a group of parents in Pasadena with oh, uh, yeah. Club 21. Oh, oh wow. wow, it was fabulous. The, the group um, itself is just a really energetic, enthusiastic, very savvy. They know their stuff. So it was a little intimidating going in, I have to say. Uh, but it was just a really positive experience, and um, we had some great discussions about inclusion and the practicality of it working in their situations. And, yeah, they were just really kind and gracious and listened. And <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, it was, but I have to say, you know, it, it, uh, I'm used to teaching primary students, so having to talk in front of adults is a whole different story because <laughs> they actually question what you have to say. <laughs> so, um, but no, they were such such a great group, and I enjoyed meeting them. And, Terry, you wouldn't believe this, but I actually met one of our past guests. She was one of the first really? guests that we've had on our podcast, Mary Falvey. Uh-huh. And oh my gosh! She I was, just mentioned her book to you the other day. Yes, yes. I she was there. I met her in person. It was great. She we just you know yeah. she says, "Are you Nicole?" Yes, and <laughs> That's so, so cool. So cool wow. to finally meet somebody that we've talked to before, and she lives in the <laughs> L.A. area, so huh. she's uh, she's out there quite a bit at this club supporting them. So yeah, oh, yeah. Anyway, it was it was wonderful, a wonderful experience. So big shout out to Club Twenty One this week, a great organization, such a great support for families who have children with Down syndrome, and and I wanted to thank them for having me come out and speak. So, yeah, Terry, how about you? What's happening with you? Oh, um, nothing. I I have nothing too exciting to report. I've been I've been thinking a lot about, you know, on the on the theory of work smarter, not harder. Trying to find ways to manage the different things that I do and have more time for you know to help my son with college homework, which is mm-hmm. <laughs> unquestionable time drain. But, um, you know, I used to write a blog for About.com as part of my site, and then the blog got discontinued with About.com, redesigned, and, and took away the blog. And then I was trying to write about daily news going on in the special needs community on a special page that I was updating every day, but it just became so time-consuming to find stories yeah. to write about and then to write about them. Given the number of people who actually access that page, it just wasn't making a lot of sense. So this week I've been exploring a lot of ways to use social media to do that same thing. I've been trying mm-hmm. to tweet a lot more whenever I see a story that's worth sharing. Uh, I finally went on Pinterest, which I've been fighting for a long time, so <laughs> you can find me on there now. And I've also, this is something kind of uh, interesting, I'd, I'd invite people to check out and let me know what they think. Um, there's a service called Feedly, which um, is an RSS reader, so basically you subscribe to whatever blogs you see that you like, and it serves them up in a list that you can just go through very quickly. And they're oh. starting to uh, have a, a feature where you can share your collections with other people, uh, and um, so I was allowed to, to sort of do an early preview of that, and I had to mow through like the 400-some feeds that I had accumulated, about 200 of which were no longer <laughs> updating, and yeah. put them into little small categories so that people can look at them. But that page is up now. If you go to feedly.com slash mamatude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E, you can see some lists of some of the blogs that I follow regularly, and maybe you'll find some that you want to follow as well. So um, that's something I'm kind of excited that's about. Right. I still have a lot of tweaking and playing around to do because, you know, and I'm, I'm wishing that they would allow comments, you know, if I could introduce each collection and, uh, and um, you know, make some comments on some of the blogs. That would be nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't have that functionality now. It's just starting out. I think it's not open, quite open to the public yet. So that's that's something that I'm excited about this week. Good. Well, it is exciting. It's always nice to try something new, too. Yeah, and I really like being able to share, you know, share the work that people are doing and giving it some more exposure. That's something I've always felt that I wanted to use the About.com side for because there's so many great blogs out there and, um, you know, the ones that I I really read the most and appreciate, I think everybody should be reading too. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and that's the the name of the game is sharing and sharing ideas and resources (laughs) and, you know, when we know better, we do better, right? So that's kind of the the hope. So... (laughs) 
and that's what we're doing here today and and why we have um uh Lori and Paula here along with us this morning and we're going to be talking about presuming confidence this morning and uh, what that means and why we need to do that with our children uh who have special needs learning needs in our classroom because I think for me personally I think that um attitude and belief systems is where inclusion starts and yeah. uh and it definitely starts with presuming competence. So, Paula, do you want to kick off our discussion this week and tell us what your thoughts are on that statement um, about presuming yeah, competence? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking a lot about it, um, actually, in, in terms of positive expectations in classrooms, because I think there are a couple of different levels of things here. I think, that, you mm-hmm. know, assuming, um, presuming competence for individual kids, I'm often asked, you know, I think because I have a background as an attorney and a teacher, I'm often asked, mm-hmm. what's the bright line? When can a child be included and when it can't? And I know people are thinking in terms of, you know, how disabled can a child be that can't be in the classroom? And mm-hmm. then I, but I always throw it back because I, I think it really is about what goes on in the classroom because mm-hmm. what um, what I see is that kids sometimes with very significant disabilities can be Included, whereas a child with a mild disability in another classroom can't. Right. So you know, so you you have to kind of look at you know what what are the attitudes in that classroom as a whole, and so I've been noticing when I observe classrooms the ones the teachers that have um, positive expectations for their students, all of their students, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. I believe in you and that you can learn. And it makes such a big difference. And then I, I started looking at the, the research, um, and the research, like, by Wang and Wang, showing that leaders will produce, you know, learners will produce what the teacher expects them to produce because those are the beliefs that you transmit to the students. If you transmit that, I don't think you can learn. Nobody's going to learn. So when, when I find teachers like that, inevitably, they're doing a good job with inclusion, because it seems to be easier for them to make the maybe a leap to that individual student, even one that might have more significant needs, because they're already doing that in terms of their students, so they kind of they kind of get it. Um, mm-hmm. One of my biggest challenges, though, and I I think um, Carrie was kind of um, alluding to this, is that sometimes working with school professionals. On IEP teams, I find that, um, at least in New Jersey, and I know it's different in other places, but we have school social workers, um, a a school psychologist, and a learning disability specialist on our Mm -hmm. child study teams that are the people that are then on the IEP team, the total IEP team, at least one of those people. And, like, two-thirds of them have never taught in classrooms, so... You know, a lot of times what they recommend or their conversation is around their assumptions about what a child can and cannot do. Yeah. But it's more like mm-hmm. based on what their knowledge is of the disability level label. Yeah. So rather than actual practice, because they haven't been in a classroom and seen what kids can do, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah. that that's a, a real challenge. I think we have a lot of work to do there and if you look at the white paper that I talked about before about New Jersey, I think they found um, a lot of problems at the decision-making level 
uh, at the IEP, uh, you know, team decision-making level. And I think a lot of it might relate to just what we're talking about here, that those uh, the, the team a lot of times can't figure out how what's going to be the use of this child being in that classroom because they don't get the yeah. curriculum. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But then so how do you know that they don't get the curriculum until the child's in the classroom? It's a terrible right. catch-22. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, and I, I think uh, it cuts back on their their uh, willingness to problem solve, too, to look and say, okay, how could we do this? You know, it's more mm-hmm. like we, we can't do this. So yeah. I don't know what you guys think. You know, That's the, the thing thought. about that is it, it also, depending upon the, the age and the experience of the, the people on that team, if if they say, yes, let's do this, I believe in this, they have to question their own belief system and, and their practice for maybe 20 years. And that's mm-hmm. a hard place to get mm-hmm. to for some people because it's really about, oh, my goodness, did I put this other child in this classroom? And, 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 <laughs> but going back to what Nicole said, when you know better, you do better. They didn't know mm-hmm. then, but let's move mm-hmm. forward and let's not do that to right. another yeah. child. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. Can, I can see where that would be hard to come to grips with with yourself if you um, – but, you know, we're all doing the best – I believe everyone's always doing the best job that they can and that mm-hmm. if you work from that position, move forward. <laughs> and yeah. I really yeah. love, Paula, what you said about um, um, I believe in you and you can learn, and that's something that yeah. I have just seen over and over again and, and with all of my children and um, mm-hmm. who now, you know, they're older, I feel kind of calling them children, but they are my children. So, um, <laughs> yeah. But just that belief and that positive um, environment, is it, it's, it's integral for every person to have that. And you mentioned the research regarding, you know, high expectations. And, and one thing that I've read about, the, the Pygmalion effect, that the, the greater the expectation that's placed upon someone, the better they perform. And that when teachers, there's that study by um, – Robert Rosenthal and Lenore Jacobson, Jacobson, and showed that when teachers were told that their students um, excelled in academics, the performance of those students was enhanced, even though those students actually had not excelled in academics before. But because the teacher believed them, believed that, and treated them mm-hmm. as such, they excelled. And there's a wonderful. Um, have, you, have you seen the video? The um, the blue-eyed, brown-eyed. Um, it's it's really about race, but it is um, it's the same principle of when you tell kids you're really great mm-hmm. at this, they they tend to be really great at it, and yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it, just starting with that premise alone, um, that's enough to say why we have to presume competence and why we really need mm-hmm. to advocate for inclusion. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, I, I think when we look at the old way of educating students labeled with developmental disabilities. Um, we see those myths about learning capabilities and the and disability to how that becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So you have a child labeled with an intellectual disability. So we segregate them, teach them different things, don't presume that they're competent, and so we ensure that they are not learning the same thing that their peers are learning. And mm-hmm. we should ensure it. How could they? And if we took any neurotypical child, they it would be the same thing. If you if you teach kids different things in a segregated environment, they will it, they will have a different educational experience. And mm-hmm. um, so I think we just have to really look at our children, you know, our children of the world, 
they depend on us to do better than this. Yeah. They depend on us and mm-hmm. to provide really robust and rich educational and social opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think, and, and I don't want to blame, not blame, or, or lay all this on the educational system because I think when we think about presuming competence, it's not something that starts when your child is in their school, but as parents, we must start. We must presume competence from the day our kids are born, mm-hmm. and we don't mm-hmm. have any. You may have these preconceived notions because of doctors or uh, saying, "No, this is what you can expect." But the reality is, we have no idea what anyone is capable mm-hmm. of learning right. until that information is presented in a way that is accessible and they have a means to express themselves. And I think if you just really think about Helen Keller and Ann Sullivan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Helen Keller's intelligence level didn't change when she was thought yeah. to be, you know, but but her she had a means to to access and to express herself. So yeah. that is our responsibility as a parent. You have yeah. to, and if you don't have the resources, reach out and 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 there are plenty of people out there that, like I just think about Nicole. You know, when I we started this inclusion journey with Henry. I reached out to you, and you've Skyped yeah. with me after a session, and people are really willing. People are so passionate about inclusion and presuming confidence that there are a lot of people that are really out there that are willing to help. Mm-hmm. Um, so have you, mm-hmm. have you guys seen um, examples of this, that it, about how important it is for parents to – I don't know if parents ever would go into the school system saying, hey, I want you to presume confidence, but I don't. Yeah. I, <laughs> um, have you, yeah. I, I haven't really seen that, but I, I think that we need to look at it as a society, and everybody's it's everybody's responsibility. Well, I think as a as a teacher, I think it's really important to um, uh, expect or ask the parent at the beginning of the year to tell us about their child and tell yeah. us what the child's abilities are and their strengths and their interests. Because that just goes a tremendous way of, um, you know, of setting up the classroom program and setting up those expectations for the child. And the teacher, you know, not having that child's previous years doesn't know really what the child's strengths are unless, you know, they've looked at past report cards and IEPs. But um, I think that's a really important strategy for parents to do because that aligns their belief system that their child is able with right. the teacher's uh, perspective of the child. So if the parent mm-hmm. is going in there and saying, you know what, my child can do this, then that's where the, ch- the, that's where the teacher starts. You know, starts yeah. with that, okay, well, they can count to, you know, I'm giving a really, really simple example here, but they can count to 10, great, we're going to start with that, rather than yeah. going back and starting with zero, right? <laughs> right, so, or you know, I want you to yeah. count to 10, 10 times. You know, yeah, to show yeah, me that you exactly. can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which we get yeah. caught up in. Yeah, and and I think schools, you know, and back to what Paula was saying, schools are kind of a dangerous place in that, you know, once a child is given a label or once there's an expectation yeah. of a child based on what the uh, so-called experts have um, said, I think it's a it's a pretty dangerous place to, because you know, once those labels are there, they're kind of hard to remove. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah um, I, I think the problem solving in the classrooms is, is so important for people to look at what happens in a classroom and really have the conversation about the supports 
I, I've heard special educators say that they didn't know until they got in and started working in a fourth grade, like regular classroom, what a fourth grader was capable of. You know, right, so if right, you're if you're right. running that separate system and that's the only one you're exposed to, that's what you're seeing. You've got to get in the gen ed classroom and you know see what happens there and say, oh, you know, I really we really could adapt something to make it work here. It's yeah. not like rocket science, you know. Yeah. Right. Right. Pushing those supports so, in instead of pulling them. Yeah. In child yeah. out with that yeah. and and also that yeah. peer support is so or not support but just that peer modeling and peer interaction kids you know the all the studies are there too about when kids are around kids that have more language their their language in whatever way that they use language whether it's with AAC mm-hmm. or that that increases and mm-hmm. don't um, you often find also that their peers have higher expectations of them than, yeah. than the, sometimes the teachers do I mean, a lot of kids, I think, if you said to them, can can Johnny do that? They'd say, well, he can do that by himself. I've seen him do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's interesting. Terry, do you have any final thoughts on this for us? Yeah. I just, we're think, getting you know, towards the end here. To, to everybody and, and thinking about, you know, I always feel like the naysayer. And I think this is, <laughs> is an example where it's really good to get as many stories about how this is being done successfully out there. Mm-hmm. stories at this school we did this these are the statistics this is what happened the only time i was successful in really having a victory with the child study team was when i was able to you know my, my daughter had sort of an atypical background there weren't many students like her they were labeling her with you know and placing her based on their understanding i was mm-hmm. able to bring in some research of other where other kids like her had been placed in schools across the country and it was mostly in an inclusion classroom and that made a difference yeah, for them great. to see that their mm-hmm. peers in other places were doing this. Not that this mm-hmm. parent came in with an article or this parent says she heard on a podcast or, right. you know, yeah. somebody <laughs> in a book says, but, yeah, that's not really going to happen. Specifically, you know, X number of schools did this. This is what happened. This is the chart that shows the improvement. This is the way your peers are doing this. Why are you right. not doing this? Mm-hmm. That is the way mm-hmm. you need to come at it. Uh, yeah. Any other way, you're going to get an eye roll because the, especially in places like New Jersey where the the, the specialized system is pretty entrenched, uh, and the parents, many parents like it. They want their kid with autism to be in a mm-hmm. specialized school for autism because they can understand how that works. They can see how that works. They can't see how inclusion could possibly work. You have special ed teachers in self-contained classes who have been doing it forever and believe in it with all of their heart and have seen kids Mm -hmm, go into imperfect inclusion settings and fail. And you never want your kid to have to fail before you can decide what's, you know, right. So, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, let's just presume competence. But, I mean, even as a parent, you know, you can assume your kid can do stuff, but you're always going to run into things your kid can't do. And yeah, as a parent, you're not trained to make a difference. And, you know, you're going to go to to um, an early intervention program that's going to have therapists who've worked with tons of kids and maybe don't share your same views of inclusion. You know, so there's lots of voices that are going to be saying, you know, by pushing them to do something they can't do, you are harming them. So I think, and I think that's really where concrete examples mm-hmm. of exactly how this works, where it's worked, what the results have been, how to do it, or else you're never going to get over the the eye rolls. And, and, and I don't think presuming competence means that you're going to do something exactly the way someone else is. Yeah, mm-hmm. at all. 
at all. But, but that it seems to me that you, yeah, you develop that knowledge over time, but the yeah, time where yeah. it needs to be applied is when your kid is youngest. So if yes. I could go back in time, <laughs> there's a lot of things I would mm-hmm. do differently, but it's too late. You know, it is what it is. So I, you know, you know, I think it's good that we're talking about it and everybody's providing as many examples as we can get. I, mm-hmm. I agree, Terry, that, that because of it, it is a medical model because you're getting those services from medical providers, yeah. the whole way your your disability is approached, is it's very mm-hmm. different. And so mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. you, um, you know, I, f- I feel so lucky because I feel like Henry just showed us so yeah. much about his sensory issues from, like, I'm, I'm talking two weeks old, I would say, gosh, when mm-hmm. he wears a onesie, he, mm-hmm. His whole body feels different. And uh, so yeah. he was just able to, to, to really kind of show us that. Mm-hmm. And, but nobody, when I would ask people about it, they go, oh, well, there's no way there's any difference with a onesie on. But now I think that would yeah. be with the onesie and John, like a John, John little outfit, which I think my, parent, yeah. my friends had to do an intervention about that because he was in John the little <laughs> outfit for too long. But, um, but he was stronger in that and in overall uh-huh. because he was, yeah. he was all connected and just like those suits. So I yeah. think parents really trust your gut and just you mm-hmm. can't go wrong with, with providing other ways to access it. So if you feel like your child right. isn't, able to do the same thing when they're speaking, show it to them in in written word. You know, they're all just differentiated, just like the teachers are doing, and reach out to other parents or other adults with disabilities. Yeah. Unfortunately, we are like 30 seconds till the end of class here, so I'm going to have to wrap it up real quick, but I hope we can come back to this topic another time. That's it for this week's episode of the Inclusive Class Podcast. I would like to thank our guests for the discussion and our listeners for tuning in. Please join us again next week when our topic will be Should Support Staff Help or Hover? In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook or look for us on Twitter, where Nicole tweets under the name Inclusive underscore class. I am at Mamatude. Paula is at... um, uh, Paula S. Leap at njcie.net. I guess that's your email, Paula. And Lori, yes. what is your uh, Twitter handle? At Ollie Bean. Ah, I knew O-L-L-I-B-E-A-N. Uh, and finally, you can download our past podcast for free on Blog Talk Radio and iTunes. Goodbye, everybody, and have a great week. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.